This talk was given to a group of people sitting in silence during a meditation retreat. It is intended for a mind that is quiet and attentive. We invite you to enter into your own mini-retreat by sitting quietly and listening wholeheartedly. The teachings you are about to receive were freely offered. If you would like to make a donation to support their continuation, please visit us at dharmaseed.org. I'd like to start by talking about the precepts. Today is a day, the day of the month. Is, is this the first? Second. It's the second Wednesday, Wednesday. when uh, a small group of people gather way earlier than is <laughs> civilized and um, reflect on, on the precepts as an element of practice. Um, so I'll say a few things about the precepts and then drift from there. And let me invite you, if I'm saying something that doesn't make sense uh, or that you get really... You don't have to wait till the end to uh, engage in question and discussion. Um, I don't know about you guys, but when I first started meditating, I didn't come to meditation looking for moral training. You know, I was looking for... I don't know what I was looking for, but... It didn't include all this Buddhism stuff. It was the Buddhism stuff was sort of, um, you know, it was sort of a peripheral thing. And all of a sudden, um, my gosh, it seems to be uh, at the center of uh, um, my practice. Um, the precepts sound a lot like commandments to us. Uh, there are five of them that lay people usually practice. Um, and they, they're, they're practiced as elements of, of training, they're practice. Uh, I'll, just, I'll just list them uh, in case you're not familiar with. The first is usually stated in, in a form like, For the purposes of training, I vow to refrain from taking life. And for the purposes of training, I vow to refrain from taking what is not freely given. For the purposes of training, I vow to refrain from harmful sexual activity. And for the purposes of training, I vow to refrain from harmful or incorrect speech. And for the purposes of training, I vow to refrain from the use of alcohol or drugs that cause carelessness or heedlessness. These sound very similar in a lot of ways to the commandments, which you know we like to <laughs> engrave in concrete and put outside courthouses and then sue each other over. Um, but there's a huge difference. Um, commandments, I think of sort of, you know, the, the issue with commandments is right and wrong. And you know, this right and wrong, I guess, makes sense in terms of someone somewhere who's making a list and checking it twice. Um, you know, keeping track of uh, who's naughty and nice. And that can be us, you know, because we, we do a lot of that checking. Uh, but it's about judgment. It's about right and wrong. And where, whereas the precepts are practiced as a matter of, of intention. 
Uh, it's a matter of practice. It's, you know, it's very rare that I get through a day without smashing them left and right. Uh, just out of, out of uh, not being quite awake to what I'm doing uh, as, I, as I proceed through the day. Um, but they're an element of practice. In, in the Buddha's curriculum, the, the elements of moral training, right speech, right action, and right livelihood, come in the middle of the Eightfold Path. There are three f- folds of the eight. What do you call the folds of, what are they? They're not, they're the Eightfold Path, so they're the three middle folds <laughs> of, of, the, of the Eightfold Path. Um, following um, after right understanding and intention. So the idea is that, you know, you, you get a clue, right understanding, you, you know, you get a clue, and then you decide to do something about it, intention, and, and the next thing are speech, action, and, and livelihood. And at the end is um, are the effort and meditation, uh, mindfulness and concentration. So the meditation comes at the end. So actually, the, the elements of, of precept practice are at the heart of, um, of, the Buddha's, of the Buddha's practice. Because by settling our lives and creating less turbulence, then our meditation gets deeper, we're able to see more clearly. And that's more of a clue which revitalizes our intent, which, so it's a sort of a circular kind of a thing. It, it, it increases our, um, <clears throat> our ability to see clearly and understand and, and, make, and stop making things worse for ourselves, which is basically what we, or I'll speak for myself, spend a lot of my time doing. Um, the meditation practice is is uh, is in a way thus in a way a, a morality practice as well because when we see more clearly we tend to screw up less <laughs> and it's not a matter of judgment it's not a matter of right or wrong it's a matter of how we um, how we come to feel ourselves um, the Buddha said uh, that intention well intention is is really the heart of our morality practice. There, there are stories where the Buddha describes pe- describe people who perfect their morality on their deathbed. They don't even have a chance to do anything. They go, oh my gosh. And their heart opens. And the resolve is to no longer act in a way that, that uh, is harmful. And there's a, there's a resolve. It's a vow that you take. Um, and it doesn't, there's nobody keeping a list and checking it twice or whatever because it's, it's what you know in your own heart. Um, intention is um, important because it almost, in some ways, you can't be sure whether what you intend is going to happen. 
You know, if you, in, if you act out of good intentions and things go wrong, you're not going to experience remorse because your heart was set in the right direction. But there's almost no action that you take that's, you know, a pure intention. There are mixed intentions, so many different intentions involved in any particular action. You can go to a meeting. Suppose you're the, the person who uh, said we need to, we need to uh, beef up the, the levees in New Orleans. And now you're going to the meeting and, I mean, you can go to that meeting thinking, you know, gloating a little bit. I was right and you were wrong. Not surprising. But it's, and, you know, that's not particularly wholesome intention, but it could be there. But you could also be, you know, going to this meeting, everybody's going to be paying attention now to figure out how to make it right. So that's, you know, it could be a wholesome intention mixed in with unwholesome intention. Um, and I think, you know, and if you're not going to the meeting, you may be losing your job. And so, you know, you, there's other intentions involved in your personal life, and your professional life, uh, standards that you hold yourself. There can be a, a whole range of intentions uh, involved in any one particular action. And it's the quality of the intention that is about the quality of of your heart at that time. The Buddha said, interestingly, he said intention um, is karma. You know, there's we have all these weird ideas about this culture is full of talk about karma, good karma, bad karma, karma is just really, it's, it's a law of cause and effect in human affairs. When it's good, we, or when we like it, we call it good. When we don't like it, we call it bad. You know, um, it's, but it's really impersonal. It's sort of like gravity. You know, gravity's good because it keeps the air stuck to the earth, so we have air to breathe and it keeps us alive. Of course, if you fall off the edge of a cliff and you're heading down towards your doom, you'd say, oh, bad gravity. <laughs> you know, I'd, I'd be happy to see gravity suspended here for a minute. Um, so it has to do, you know, with, I mean, this good karma, bad karma business. But really, karma is about, it, you know, it's the, the quality of our intention. Um, There's an interesting story about um, uh, somebody coming to the Buddha and saying there was, a, there was a blind monk who was doing walking meditation and he was walking across a path of snails and crushing the snails as he went. And the, this, the, I think of him as the tattletale monk came to the Buddha and said, gee, this guy's, you know, this is really bad. He's going to hell for sure. And the Buddha said, no, it's not, not his intention. He has no idea. You know. The issue, the issue is the, uh, the intention. And it's the same with the precepts that we, you know, I guess the word we use is we take them. But we're actually making a vow, a resolve. Uh, we're forming an intention to practice in a certain way. And um, 
forming a vow is something, it's a skill. You know? I, one of the things about this practice that I really like is that it's, it's really about developing a skill. You know, the beginning of the Metta Sutta is, this is what should be done by those who are skilled in goodness. And a skill you can develop. It's something that by practicing you can get better at. So, you know, it's, it's, that's really nice because um, it means if you do something about it, what you do now will determine uh, something that comes, you know, what comes later. And that, that's part of the elements of, of karma. <clears throat> that what you do today, if you, if you patch your roof, it won't leak tomorrow. Right? If you, you know, and we know that it makes a difference what we do today. And that's why we undertake, you know, when we practice things like the piano. Um, but there's, there's some skill in learning how to formulate uh, intention. Intention creation is a skill, something we can work on and develop ourselves. And, you know, there's some elements to it. Um, you know, the pre- precept taking, precept uh, taking on a precept as a, as a practice is a form of intention. But we do that, we do it all the time. We set intentions for ourselves. Hopefully we set them with some amount of wisdom. We don't set a, a a goal. We don't set an intention. If I were to say, in one year I want to play, be a, play a piano concert in Carnegie Hall, I'm probably going to be disappointed, even if I work really hard, because um, I can play Teenager in Love on the piano, but after that it's chopsticks, <laughs> which I think is a step backwards. Um, you know, so you set intentions that are you set a goal that is um, reasonable. Um, so when we set an intention, you know, for the purposes of training, I vow to refrain from taking life. You know, we we're we're reasonable. We try to be reasonable about it. I know that there's stories about how at IMS, the uh, meditation center back in Barry, the um, there was. Uh, a growing infestation of, of cockroaches at the, at the meditation center some years ago. And the board of directors spent months anguishing over what to do until people stopped coming because, you know, um, you know um, because, the, because it's, a, it's a practice. We work with it and we try to be reasonable. And then we need to be truthful with ourselves about it and about what we're doing. Um, you know, we set an intention and, and you know, if, if it's a matter of judgment, if we see the precepts as an issue of judgment, I'm good or bad because I broke a precept or I, you know, um, then, then there's a tendency to sort of hide from ourselves about it, you know. Um, but we need to be truthful uh, with ourselves. Um, and we need to be able to let go of the impulses that arise, in, you know, uh, that are contrary to, to the vow that we've taken. There's a place in the Dhammapada where the Buddha says, and it's, it's you know, I, you read the Dhammapada and you go right by and it, and he says, if you sense a, 
that there's a greater good that you can gain from giving up a lesser good or a lesser pleasure. Well, then give up the lesser pleasure for the greater pleasure. Sounds obvious. But we'll go for the quick fix. We'll go for, I mean, we do. I do. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, oh. You know, the greater good, I, I, I want to lose 10 pounds, but, you know, it's that second dove bar. In the, and the people who make dove bars, they know. They, they put them, you know, this, the ice cream bars, the really good ones, they put them three in a package. I really think that's, this is my own personal comment here, that's really insidious. Because the first one, you know, is, the first one sets you up for the second one. And once you eat the second one, you look there and there's only one left. <laughs> And you know that the next time you go there, to, and you're going to want two. So in order to protect yourself. <laughs> I, I think they do it on purpose. They have marketing experts. I, um, so, you know, you, the idea is to, 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 you know, relinquishment. Letting go of the... <laughs> So I have to leave the Dove bars on the, in the freezer in the store, because otherwise I'm a goner. I, I really, I, I can't resist them. Um, so you, let up, you relinquish the, the momentary quick fix for the greater, the greater happiness. Um, how did they solve the cockroaches? I believe that they brought in a, uh, uh, an exterminator. Exactly. Well, it's it's very tough. It's very tough, and I'm sure that they regretted it. You know, it hurts your heart to do that. On the other hand, you know, I was I was I my favorite job on retreat is I like to wash the dishes, um, and and I was washing dishes. We were at Santa Sabina some years ago. And I came to the dishes after lunch, and they were swarming with ants because people had left um, syrup from, you know, they hadn't rinsed, and they'd been just left in the, in the bins for hours. And, you know, I suppose I could have waited until they all went away. <laughs> I still feel bad, but they all went in the dishwasher. But, you know, um, and it, I feel bad not so much because I'm, I think, you know, bad Tony, I, you know, but it just, I just would rather not have done that. Is that Please. Bad karma or good karma? Well, I feel bad about it. It's, there's, you know, I feel sad. So I guess it's sad karma. <laughs> yeah. um, so setting skills. You know, and then and then there should be some some peace. If you've if you've set a goal, if you've set if you've made a resolve and you're you're not finding any peace there, maybe you're you know, you gotta reconsider it. Now a resolve is different from a wish. You know, and sometimes we, we think a wish is enough. I wish I wasn't going to eat this Dove bar. <laughs> I wish that as it's going into my mouth. I mean, I, I wish I weren't eating this. <laughs> um, I, you know, I, I wish I could quit smoking. 
I wish I could do whatever. I wish, I wish, I wish, and you wish. But a wish is not the same as, as an intention, which comes between the desire and the action. Because the action is based on the intention, what you act out of. So taking the precepts is a form of intentionality. It's not so much a form of, of a particular... It's not following the commandments. It's, it's working with the urges. The precepts highlight of the five, the five that we work with uh, in our lay practice, highlight areas that usually um, are sort of red flag areas for us. Um, areas that uh, we find ourselves, um, well, taking life, uh, speech. Now, the issues of speech, I, I know Sylvia's talked about speech and the problems, and we all know the problems we have with speech. You know, we open our mouth before, what is it, what is the line about engage the mind before opening the mouth or something like that? I mean, we all say, have said things that we regret um, and find ourselves in trouble because of things that we've said. I had a, you know, I had a conversation with my granddaughter, who's four, about exaggeration. You know, exaggeration being a form of, of not telling the truth. You know, and we all engage in speech that is less than skillful. Our sexual energy has gotten all of us into trouble at some point or another, I'll bet. Um, and, um, uh, you know, taking what is not freely given, you know, we think of that initially as material things, but it can also be immaterial, time, consent, um, all kinds of impositions. Um, and then, you know, using, using um, uh, drugs or alcohol in ways that, what is it, there was, a, there was just a study, uh, just, it went by, was sort of on the edge of my vision, on a news story this week about some huge percentage, it was a, some sexuality study and some huge percentage of people engaged in unprotected sex after drinking. I mean, it just, it makes it uh, much more difficult to pay attention to the other precepts. And these, so these are, these are red flags, these are areas that get us into, into uh, trouble and create turbulence in our lives. And then when we sit down to meditate, to try to see clearly what comes up is all that stuff. And so the more we can um, settle, the more clearly we can see. The more clearly we can see, you know, uh, the less we're going to make things bad for ourselves. And we act out of intention, and the intentions are formed on our understanding. Right? Right understanding, right intention, right action or skillful understanding, skillful action. So when we're acting from places of delusion, we're going to form intentions that are less than skillful. 
and um, get us into trouble. So mindfulness is in effect. In effect, it's a um, it's a it's a morality practice because it helps us see what we're doing. You know. Please. What time is the meeting? The precinct meeting. What? I'm sorry. Seven o'clock. I know it's, it means getting up way earlier than. <laughs> but if you're only coming from Nevada or Katati, <laughs> um, and we t- we we review the precepts and then discuss, just have have time to discuss um, our own experience with them and our own experience with with our lives in terms of the precepts. You know, we do five precepts. Which are what the lay what lay people take, and they're they're aimed at um, settling our behavior so that we aren't causing more harm and more turbulence in the world. There, if you're if you're a monastic, um, I think monks take two hundred and twenty seven <laughs> precepts, and and nuns take two hundred and fifty something, fifty six something like that. I I don't know. It's uh, um, so, and some of, them are, some of them seem kind of silly because when you get up there into the hundreds of them, the precepts are like when you hang your robe on the peg, the edges of the robe face the wall and the fold faces out. So basically there's not a lot of room for a lot of personal... You know, so so what, what you're practicing is uh, not just keeping from harmfulness, you're practicing attention... Uh, you're practicing restraint of your own impulses, impulses, desires. In in Asian countries, there are during the the phases of the moon, people take uh, their the days are. Anybody know the pronunciation? Upasotha. I can spell it, but I can't pronounce it. It's a Pali word, and it and people will take eight precepts, and there are eight precepts precept monastics and 10 precept. Now, I'll just I'll run through the, the additional three. They're, they're a different flavor than, than the first five. Um, the fifth precept is, or the sixth precept is about eating afternoon. You don't eat afternoon. And monks and nuns don't eat afternoon. Eating doesn't happen in the afternoon, so you eat in the morning. It's an interesting. It's an interesting thing to contemplate, and if you actually do that, you start getting pretty hungry <laughs> long about dinner time. Um, but the idea is to practice restraining your appetite, to just allow it to be present, and the discomfort that you feel from being hungry, to just allow it to be, because a lot of the time we act out of the discomfort of desire. Desire is uncomfortable. It's, it's wanting things to be different. So we act out of that desire. So the, the sixth precept is a practice in just allowing that discomfort to be present. What if you get really sick from that eating? Well, there's no, there's no reason to make yourself really sick. Um, and there are people who, you know, there there are monastic retreats that are that are offered here that are led by um, uh, monks. I know Ajahn Amaro and Ajahn Sumedho lead retreats, and there there is uh, during those retreats there's um, 
no formal eating afternoon. But if you have, if there's a medical reason not to follow that, you know, don't make yourself sick. You know, the purpose is not to get ill. The purpose is to practice restraint. There are other things you can do. Um, the, the uh, I believe the seventh one is about um, entertainment. No entertainment. It's a distraction. Um, I had a friend who spent a year as a monk in Burma, and he came back, and I picked him up, and I said, let's go to a Giants game. And we went to the Giants game. He said, my gosh, I haven't done anything like this in a year. Entertainment, dancing, um, distraction from, from mindfulness. Um, and, the, and the last is, um, or the eighth one, I believe is, oh, actually, I, I have it here. Um, the eighth is um, six, seven, eight. What am I missing? Oh, beautifying the body with cosmetics and garlands, adornment, personal adornment. There's a, you know, it's Santa Sabina, which is a, a uh, an old convent over at Dominican College. Um, the rooms are interesting because they were, it was designed as a convent, and the medicine cabinets have no mirrors. <laughs> so you stand in front of this piece of wood, <laughs> you know, just as a as a practice. I can't remember whether there are mirrors on the inside. Anybody know there are inside? So yeah, so you have to con- intentionally look around <laughs> to see if you look okay. But the, but the reflex is just to you know to pay attention to that. So these are basically precepts. They're intentions which you adopt for the purpose of bumping up against your your impulses and your distractions. So there there's you know it's more spiritual training than um, harmlessness training. <clears throat> the tenth precept is not to. Uh, to handle money. So monks don't even have anything to, they don't touch the stuff. And that'll get your attention if you try to, try to work with that. But the purpose is, again, it's, it's to, to bump you up against um, your impulses. How you described, um, you know, you don't see the snake, if a snake is going across the ground like this, you don't actually see the wiggling so much, but if you put them in a, a bamboo tube, they just, you know, you see the wiggling. And it's the same when you sit. You sit, and as you hold still, you notice the desire to move, you notice the sensations which you would, you know, just absentmindedly scratch and itch, you just don't even notice that. But when you resolve to sit still, when you resolve not to take what is not freely given, or to restrain your speech, or to not just automatically swat at a mosquito. Now, if you think the mosquito is carrying West Nile, then you, you know, it's a, it's a deeper, it's a deeper contemplation about just what's going on. But the issue, again, isn't right or wrong. It's a matter of intention and seeing more clearly what you're doing. So 
So it's a practice. It's a practice. It's a practice of intention. Um, and our intentions, as I said, flow from our understanding. And the understandings that we basically act out of are largely. Well, we're not right about most stuff. <laughs> you know, how much of our how much of where we act from is delusional? And Buddha says certainly what who we think we are is delusional. Most of the ideas about who we think we are, we're all trying to find ourselves. I mean, I'm not sure where we're going to look. You know, cuz wherever we go there we are. Um, but we spend we spend our lives trying to find ourselves. You know, um, well, good luck. <laughs> uh, and then we act out of whatever understandings we have, or whatever opinions we have. Things things we th- we think are true, we or we have a sense of that are true. You know. Um, angers and aversions, you know, that, that, that we have habits that we act out of. And when we form intentions based on incorrect um, understandings or delusional understandings, then our, our intentions and our actions are not going to be skillful and helpful. Um, the skillful thing, the skillful intentions to practice meditation, because meditation, vipassana practice, is um, you know dispels delusion. The kinds of things, meta practice, where we we remind ourselves and encourage ourselves to to set intentions to wish for the well-being of others. You know, we wish for the well-being of others in the abstract. You know, you think about uh, in the Metta Sutta, the Buddha says, "Let none deceive another or despise any being in any state." That includes our president. Tough. This is, you know. The, Buddha sets the bar kind of high. And as a friend of mine said when I mentioned that, uh, the other night said, well, the Buddha didn't know George Bush. (laughs) (laughs) But, um, you know, the standard is high. And when we act out of aversion, when we act out of aversion, our intentions are going to be unskillful. And they're, they're, we're going to, you know, it's very different. Um, I was talking about this this morning. It's very different to re- react to um, the situation in Iraq out of compassion and out of aversion. You know, how much of our reaction to Iraq is aversion to what's going on, anger with what's going on, or even just irritation, you know, as opposed to compassion. And, and 
isn't the, isn't the actual action that comes from compassion going to be different than the action that comes from anger or, or aversion? And you can see how that would be. And, and the same with all of the policymakers that we, you know, I mean, it's, it's the wonderfulness of democracy that we, and this, this, our society, that we can cultivate such aversion towards our leaders and practice, <laughs> practice such aversion with, with such intensity. We're really good at it. We've been doing it for a while. And we've got role models, you know, in the media. Um, So, you know, practicing intention setting by working with the precepts, working with metta practice, working with vipassana practice. All of the all of the paramis that that uh, there are ten of them. Uh oh, I know I'm not going to be able to rattle them all off. <laughs> um, but they start with generosity and loving-kindness, and truthfulness, and determination, or persistence, I guess, um, uh, patience. And at the end, I know the last one, is uh, equanimity. You know, we can work, we can set intentions to work with them, and those are skillful. You know, those, those intentions, um, and, and they're, they're karmic in their, in their effect. Because what we do today has an effect on what we do tomorrow. So if we practice mindfulness, we have a moment of mindfulness today, it conditions mindfulness in the next moment. So the precepts really are karmic practice. They're not, and you know, all the, all the spiritual traditions are roughly aiming in the same direction. Um, you know, it does, it does make a difference what you do today. And, um, and the precepts are um, an intentional um, and, and makes our practice easier in the future. Um, learning to be skillful about this is tough because the, the natural intention is to go for th- our impulse. The Buddha said, there was a little story about how he decided he, he you know, was sitting by a stream and he threw a stick or a bowl in the stream. You may have heard the story. And he said, you know, uh, I'll, I'll proceed on this path if the, if the uh, um, stick floats upstream. Because basically the, the path is moving upstream against the normal impulse that we have. The normal impulse to reach for that, the third dove bar. And I, I just hate to tell you how many third dove bars. <laughs> but you know, that's that, that impulse. We all, we all do that. Um, and karma is the, the flowering of our intention. You know, you can look back on Moments. Think, you know, recall a moment when you acted out of the purest generosity you can recall. You know, and when you think of of a moment like that, 
it makes you feel good. I mean, you really do feel, yeah, that was cool. And and doing it, when you you actually perform that action, it felt good too. And contemplating doing something like that in the future feels good. And that's that's you know the karma. And when you when you act out of that kind of you know, if not purity of intention, I mean, you know, because I intentions are are rarely totally pure. But sometimes, uh, when you act out of out of that, people respond to the way you act, and they they respond back. You know. Working with the precepts, practicing the precepts, is a gift to others. So it's a, uh, um, and and when they when they feel safe in your presence, when they feel attended to, uh, and and honored in your presence, they respond back the same way. Now you know the Buddha said it's pointless to try to unravel all the strands of karma. Sort of like if you have a clear pool of water and you drop a stone in it, you can watch the ripples go out and then they bounce off the edge and they come back. And you can you can recognize the impact of of you know one action. But what's going on here in our lives is that we've got lots of people throwing hands full of gravel up and you know and you look at the water and it's just all choppy. That doesn't mean any particular pebble doesn't have the same effect you know, in the physics of the situation, but it's pretty hard to track it, and a waste of time, really. If you can see, once you understand the principle, it's, it's not, but people like to say, well, you know, this is our karma because in the past I did this or did that, or, and the reality is that what's present for us is the result of what came just a millisecond before and a millisecond before that. And it couldn't be any different. You know, this instant couldn't be any different given the instant a millisecond before. And so things are unfolding just you know, lawfully in terms of causes and effects. So we have an opportunity, you know, it's just wonderful that we've had a chance to be in contact with the Dharma because um, understand, just even whatever understanding of it that we have gives us a chance to do something with it. We don't have a lot of time. We have, nobody knows how much time we have, you know. People in, I have... Someone in my sangha, who um, my in my small group, who's um, um, dealing with liver cancer, and he said, "You know, a couple months ago, I would have thought that almost anybody in New Orleans was going to last longer than me, but we just don't know." And because what we do today makes a difference to what happens tomorrow. 
you know, there is a reason, there's some, some urgency. Um, in, in attending to practice, there's a, there's a word, a Pali word that's uh, samvega, S-A-M-V-E-G-A. I really like the word because it's pretty obscure. Um, and it's not real easy to translate, but it, it refers to the urgency that you feel in the face of the impermanence and the uncertainty of, um, of the time we have, and in, also in terms of um, how much time we've wasted so far. That's to just to uh, and and the pointlessness of of just going with the flow, you know, just continuing on. And so the Buddha said to his his monks, he said, monks, there's the tree, so there's the root of the tree. There's an empty hut. Go and sit now, or you will regret it later. So the practice that we undertake with the precepts with our sitting practice, uh, with all of this shapes our, our uh, situation tomorrow. And um, the practice of intention setting and the practice of working with, uh, with our intentions is the way to um, move forward in our practice. So let me just... Uh, pause here from my rambling. I'm not quite sure what you want to call that as a title for a talk. We have to, we have to label this. <clears throat> she has to put a label on the tape. What you do today really does matter. Like that uh, 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 that's fine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So let me... Um, I'm curious to, to hear from you guys on this one, please. I often hear the phrase, if I'm listening to Jack Coins, he says, moment by moment awareness. And mm-hmm. I really don't understand it. How is it different from my everyday awareness? Well, I don't know about your everyday awareness, so I'll tell you about my everyday awareness. Um, I'm lost in reverie a huge part of the time. And the reverie is not like dreaming about Waikiki Beach. It's like, you know, worrying about whatever's coming up or whether what I just did, whether they're going to think, you know, whether, or, you know, how I'd like things to be. And so I'm not even paying attention to the sound or the sensations of my feet on the floor or. Um, the the physical sensations of my body. I'm not aware that I'm lost in thought. I'm just lost in thought. That's my everyday awareness. Moment to moment awareness. Well, you know, I I I, I know what Jack is getting at. I, I I sort of I have a slightly different take on that though because I don't think there I don't think I don't I don't think there's mom, there are many moments. There's only one moment. There's only the present. And in this present, things arise and pass. So moment-to-moment awareness, I think what he means is just being present for what's here right now. Watching 
what arises and what changes and what passes as it happens. So when you see... Well, the shortest Dharma talk that the Buddha ever gave, I think, was, was uh, a, uh, to a guy named Bahia who came to him and said, he'd been practicing for years and he couldn't get it and the Buddha's in town. So he comes to the Buddha and he says, what's the deal? And the Buddha says, I'm on alms rounds right now. Come back after lunch. And Bahia says, well, you know, I know enough to know about impermanence. There may not be any after lunch. You know, please (laughs) tell me now. So the Buddha said, okay, in the seeing, only the seeing. In the hearing, only the hearing. In the touching, in the tasting. And in in the thinking or in the cognizing, only the thinking. So it's not that you, you know, when you have a thought, about George Bush, we get lost in the George Bush. And the Buddha is saying, just recognize it as thought. So in this moment-to-moment awareness, we, we, there's seeing, there's hearing, there's thinking. And rather than being lost in the content of the thought, in the reveries that we're lost in, we see our thinking, we see our emotion as sensation. We see it as just what it is without, without going further. Does that... Does, yes, yes, yes. Yeah. Yeah. I don't exactly know what's going to come out here, but it's okay. this, uh, uh, this tension between um, knowing that I have to... Pl- Let's say I'm going to give a speech. So how does that fit in with moment-to-moment awareness preparing for something that you're going to have to do or be ready for in the future. I'm, I'm not quite sure how uh, that all fits together. Well, all of these things are, are tools. The, the conceptual all the conceptual tools we have and our ability to plan, uh, our ability to, uh, and our desire to plan. Some of these things make sense because we live in, um, we live in a relative world where we really need to know whether we go into the men's room or the women's room. Um, whether, you know, you, if you're traveling between countries, you need to have your passport and people want to know that stuff. <clears throat> These are all tools for living in, in our world. And there's a, there's a, I don't know, there's an aphorism about if the only tool you've got is a hammer, everything starts looking like a nail. You know, you get totally in, in, engrossed in your, in your particular tool. But in living in this world, we want to be able to, to use some of these concepts to plan. We certainly want to be able to relieve suffering, our own and other, for others. And that requires some skillful attention to the way things work. The trick is not to clutch so tightly that we don't put the hammer down when we're done. So we want to hold these tools in a way. It's okay to plan. There's nothing wrong with planning. It's helpful to plan. Make sure that people are fed and you know taken care of, and uh, 
so, so doing that, there's nothing wrong with that. Um, we do it in a, in a way that, that uh, supports people and that is not harmful. Um, the difficulty comes when you become fundamentalist about how you do planning or how you do. And then, you know, we grind ourselves into the ground, making ourselves, um, you know, out of some judgment, some sense of judgment, because, you know, we're, we're conditioned to be judgmental. And it's why the precepts are difficult for us to understand, because of the judgmental stuff. So we're looking to make a judgment about the way we do things. Is the way we do things right, or is it wrong? You know, and is, is it, you're, I mean, you're asking, is it right to be doing all this planning when we're also moment-to-moment awareness? Right and wrong is another one of these judgment things. And the Buddha's concern was not with right or wrong. His concern was whether what you do enhances or attenuates suffering for yourself and others. So the planning, there's nothing wrong with the planning. Unless what you're planning to do is, you know, going to make things worse for yourself or others. Okay, so that the, the purpose here is to, is to work on attenuating, relieving, if not outright eliminating, ending, suffering, and the unsatisfactoriness of our experience. So does that, does that help some? Yeah. And, and, you know, working with the precepts and practicing with the precepts is a skillful way to work towards um, relieving relieving suffering for yourself and others. Well, I sure appreciate your attention and your attention to the Dharma. So thank you guys very much for coming. This talk was given by Tony Bernard at Spirit Rock Meditation Center on October 12, 2005. It is an offering of the Dharma Seed Audio Archive. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org.
dot org slash donate.